Welcome to another episode of Courageous Conversations. Uh, today we have Kevin McShan joining us. This is going to be a very unique conversation. Um, so Kevin McShan is a motivational speaker, a journalist, a disability advocate. He's also the host of the Let's Have This Conversation podcast, which trivia fact is how we met. I was on his show earlier this year. Um, but anyways, he also was someone who's living with cere cerebral palsy. And this, I'll be totally frank here, is the first time in my entire life I have ever had an open, honest, frank conversation with someone who has a disability about their life and about their disability. Uh, it's one of those topics that I just, whether I was told or whether it was just implied, it always just felt like it was impolite to mention and talk about. So literally in my entire life, right, never have I had a conversation like this. Um, so I'm really enjoying, uh, looking forward to this rather. Kevin, thank you so much for being vulnerable and opening yourself up to having a conversation like this. Uh, it's, it's definitely uh, good to have you on. Jonathan, it's great to see you again, and thank you for uh, the invitation to talk about inclusion. I'm delighted to be with, with you this afternoon and excited to jump, jump into our conversation. Perfect. So I guess just for starters, right, to give everyone some context, maybe do a, a base level of education, can you talk to people about what is cerebral palsy and what are some of the physical limitations that you live with? So no problem. So I was born with what's called uh, spastic quadriplegia cerebral palsy. It just simply means that I don't have enough oxygen in my legs to walk normally. It affects things such as... Uh, my muscle movement, muscle dexterity, uh, my mo my motor skills, uh, my stamina, my riding, and those sort of things. Uh, but beyond uh, my my physical limitations, I live a normal life. I just I've uh, been diagnosed and lived uh, with cerebral palsy my entire life. All right then. And one thing that I imagine um, is that when an able-bodied person like myself sees you, we probably assume you're more helpless than you actually are. Can you talk to us about the differences between the real limitations that exist in your life because of your disease versus maybe the perceived limitations that people assume you have? Well, yeah, Jonathan, I live my life through a simple saying that inclusion is the gateway to independence. It's something that's fueled my uh, existence in life. Uh, since I was a little guy, you know, I uh, got into journalism because I believe that every uh, person deserves a platform to uh, share their story. Now, when you talk about uh, disability inclusion, certainly when you look at things like employment and social interaction or, or social isolation and having people included in societal life is a big area of um, concern or big area of emphasis when you talk about uh, disability advocacy and inclusion. So I've dedicated my entire adult life to opening up av avenues of inclusion that include people with disabilities so that they can uh, see themselves in prominent roles. You know, I simply believe that uh, we all uh, are put on this earth uh, for a reason. You know, there's a sign in my office that says um, that we're all given a platform to make a difference and it's incumbent upon all of us to decide which direction we want to go, right? So when we look at uh, 
including people with disabilities. Uh, certainly they're marginalized when it comes to employment, and social recreation, as I mentioned before, uh, access to um, a more inclusive uh, just societal life in terms of including uh, inclusion and in conversation about how the world uh, work, you know. Uh, people with disabilities can often provide uh, a differing perspective and a differing opinion on how to uh, get, get things done as simple as running a business or, or how a city government should uh, make a sidewalk to make it more accessible. So there are more uh, avenues of uh, participation that I think uh, people with disabilities need to be included in, and we can certainly uh, dive into those later in our discussion, but those are sort of the broad strokes if we're looking at uh, disability inclusion when we talk about uh, employment, uh, societal inclusion, and making sure that um, uh, they are fully Not sure it's just on, just on my end or if it's uh, everyone's experiencing this, but it's all frozen for me. So I'm going to hang tight here and uh, wait for Kevin to come back or wait for myself to come back. Who knows? I'm not sure who's uh, having the bandwidth issues. Well, I hear you again, Kevin. It froze up on my end. I don't know if uh, what happened, but can you still hear me? We're back. It looks like it. Yeah, we're back. <laughs> yeah, it froze up on mine. I don't know if it's my bandwidth or what. I'm gonna see if we can get the kids to hop off of Netflix real quick. Yeah, if we have to repeat that, that's no problem. Well, I think it was right as you were wrapping up um, that uh, that it froze up on my end. So again, I'm thinking it, it probably got through. Um, and, and truthfully, it could have just been my end that was frozen. I mean, people watching this live could have seen it. Oh, no problem. Well, anyways, we'll jump back into it. Um, so I guess kind of on this note of you know real limitations versus perceived limitations, um, can you give just like a few examples of real limitations you do have to live with, right? Whether it's I don't know difficulty typing or driving or just real things that because your uh, disability you're either can't do or more, more difficult to do. Yeah, the the biggest one that jumps to mind is um, transportation, and uh, because uh, when I don't have uh, my support staff with me, I have to rely on transportation and getting. Uh, I'll give you a story. So mm -hmm. a couple of years ago, I booked a trip to go to Fort Lauderdale. And as you know, I live here in Canada, so I called up the cab company and said, I need an accessible cab because I was going to take my regular electric wheelchair. And the only way I could do that was to take a cab because my, my regular wheelchair doesn't fold into the back of a car. So we get uh, in the cab and 
the cab driver says, I'm taking you to the Windsor Airport. And I'm like, I called the night before to make sure that you were taking me to Detroit. And the guy was like, I don't cross the border, right? So, um, hmm. so then we had to go back and I had to, I had to take another wheelchair. We went to the airport in my PSW car at the time and we missed our original flight by 10 minutes. Hmm. So I had two options. I could either go home and, uh, and not go to Florida or pay the extra to book the next flight. It was 6.30 in the morning and uh, the next flight wasn't for the next eight hours. And I had already rebooked the ticket, so uh, we hung out at uh, Detroit Metro Airport. Uh, Jonathan, if you ever need a tour there, I'm your guy. Um, <laughs> and I got some dining options for you at the airport. But anyway, the moral of the story was that I I couldn't. Um, transportation is certainly the biggest because it's not like when you have a disability and you don't drive and you have to rely on other people. And you sort of rely on their schedule, whether other people are driving you or a public transportation schedule. Uh, the other one I would say, and the biggest one, uh, and the one that I'm most passionate about is employment opportunities for people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. You know, they're uh, marginalized out, out of the workforce. Uh, most uh, often, you know, I worked on a project uh, back in 2018 called uh, the Discoverability Network, which was the province of Ontario's new online job matching portal for individuals with disabilities and employers to get connected. And the way it works is uh, you go on this website, you create a profile, and then you're matched with uh, uh employers who are specifically looking for uh, people with disabilities to hire. And if you're uh, an employer, uh, you can pick from a pool of candidates that are self-identifying as having a disability. Uh, so I think employment's another one. I think uh, uh, communication and the way we talk about disabilities has to change. You know, one of the biggest things that I always tell people is not to be afraid uh, to ask questions about a disability because I would rather you ask the questions and get the clarification uh, that you need rather than uh, uh, drawing assumptions that may not be true. So I think uh, to answer your original que question, there are three areas of main focus for me, uh, transportation, education, uh, and the need for a better uh, channel of communication so that, that uh, barriers of access, whether it be understanding or opportunity uh, for people with, with and without disabilities, I think those are, are the three main areas uh, uh, to answer that uh, specific question. So that's interesting, right? Those sound predominantly limitations of the world you're placed in less than just limitations of your body, right? Like it, you know, it sounds like you can brush, you know, brush your teeth, get yourself dressed. You can make yourself food. You can like do traditional everyday life things. Right. Um, 
driving a vehicle, I guess, is one thing your body limits you from doing. But, you know, a lot of stuff with like, you know, employment and education, that's not necessarily your body holding you back. That's more the world you're placed in that was, you know, only built with one type of body in mind. That seems to be the barrier there. Yeah, you know, I always, when we talk about physical barriers, uh, when you live with a disability, uh, you sort of know your limits sometimes. And mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, for example, when you talk about physical barriers, I don't often wear uh, dress clothes because I struggle with buttons and zippers and and, and belts, right? They, they're just, and if, I do wear dress clothes. Either my family, my immediate family, or my uh, support staff have to uh, help me get dressed because yeah. uh, my body or my dexterity because of my disability uh, is a problem, right? Another uh, a physical limitation is um, one of the reasons I wear glasses is because because of my disability, I don't blink normally than everybody else. It affects the way of my muscle movement, right? So it's um, blinking of the eyes. Uh, I can't stand for long periods of time uh, because of the disability. Uh, I swim a lot because it helps with uh, my muscle movement in the pool. Uh, I almost feel weightless. I enjoy... Uh, flying, uh, because I don't know if you've ever flown with someone or been on a plane with someone with a disability. Um, and uh, because when I fly, uh, I have to sit in something called an aisle chair, and they strip this. It's almost like a high chair, uh, but uh, uh, and you look like an astronaut every time you do it because there's hmm. a million valves to this thing, and so. Every time I go on an airplane, I have to uh, go in what's called an aisle chair. Once I get on a plane, and uh, the security has to take me to my seat so I don't uh, uh, get injured while flying, right? Because the airline's uh, responsible for making sure that I have a good uh, flight, right? So I'm the first one on a plane. I don't fly for more than two to three hours at a time uh, because once you're in the seat, right, you can't get up to go to the bathroom until uh, you leave or the plane land. So I don't fly for more than two or three times, uh, two to three hours at a time. And I wait for everybody else to get off a plane, right? So uh, certainly, again, when we look at transportation, that's a big one in terms of limitations. Yeah. But in terms of Physical limitations, uh, dressing myself, whether it, uh, I can only buy certain clothes if I want to uh, dress myself independently just because of my dexterity. It doesn't allow me to do it independently. So those are so, sort of uh, my everyday uh, uh, physical challenges. Just dealing with my dexterity and making sure that I do everything to make sure that I don't lose control of my muscles. Like just before this podcast, I went walking with my uh, personal support worker at the park to loosen me up. And he even told me when he was doing my physiotherapy after the walk that I'm a lot looser uh, because I got the movement in my muscles. So it's 
like if I don't stretch for uh, three to four days, like my hamstrings, I'm extremely tight. So yeah. it affects things like getting dressed in the morning uh, because sometimes my muscles don't move the way they're supposed to do because I haven't stretched for a couple of days. So yeah. that's sort of like the inside look at uh, some of the physical limitations that I endure having uh, the type of uh, cerebral palsy that I do. Yeah. So I hope that answers your question more. No, absolutely. Um, one thing I'm curious about typing, I imagine it's something that requires a lot of dexterity, but I've you know seen you type at least some messages to me in the past. We've had conversations on LinkedIn and stuff. So you obviously managed to type, but is there a special keyboard you use or have you just figured out how to work with a standard keyboard and make it happen? No, but I will tell you that I use a standard keyboard. Uh, I'm on a computer a lot. Uh, as you know, that I, I'm on LinkedIn a lot. Sure. Well, one, one thing that I do use is something called uh, Kurzweil. Uh, it's a reading pro program, and I've started to use the reading out loud feature on Microsoft Word because I can read normally, but if I have... Um, a lot of words on a piece of paper or a computer screen. It's just easier for me to absorb the information if it's read out loud audibly for me. And it, it's easier for me to uh, form a response uh, after I have uh, heard the text audibly. So um, some of the things that I use are Kurzweil and like when I have to write something, I, I have either my family or my support staff do it because my handwriting is affected by my disability. Sure. Um, so those are, those are the things. And I use a computer to uh, uh, communicate uh, more uh, effectively because my writing is affected through my dexterity. But yeah, I use it. A computer like uh, someone, uh, an able-bodied person, uh, I'm lucky in that way because there are more uh, severe cases of uh, CP that require uh, people to use like uh, speech-to-text where they uh, speak words instead of typing them. Uh, there's a program out there called Dragon and it's a typing program and, and one of the, uh, like a voice activated um, uh, typing program when you speak instead of type. But the only drawback to that is uh, when, when you want to say a certain word and the computer thinks you said something else and you have to go back. And, and so there are um, different limitations in terms of communicating with the rest of the world, but in terms of using a computer and all of that good stuff, I'm, I'm lucky in that sense, but there are, are certainly uh, communication challenges for people with disabilities as well. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Well, thanks for being so, so open about this. Like I said, these are questions I've never uh, felt confident enough to ask someone before, right? <laughs> yeah, no problem. And I apologize if my answers are a little bit long. It's the journalist in me, right? So I want to give as much information to these questions as you, you desire. So I hope you're getting something out of our conversation. No, this is fantastic. Um, I think I want to pivot now and talk more about the emotional side of things, right? I imagine living with a disability must take an emotional toll. 
Um, talk to me about kind of your, I guess, you know, emotional life and mental health throughout your life. <laughs> well, uh, well, my mental health is something that I constantly work on, but I will uh, tell you this one story when I'm asked about this. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was my seventh or eighth grade uh, of elementary school. I had just returned from London uh, from the Thames Valley or Thames Valley uh, Children's Hospital. And Dr. Tim Carey, who was uh, the physician who um, performed all of my surgeries when I was a little guy and as I pro uh, progressed into a child, uh, before my parents and I left London, he had um, sat me down and sat my parents down and said, uh, in, in uh the fall of 1998, he had told my parents that um, this was my last leg surgery. There wasn't anything else medically um, that uh, uh, the doctors could do or the medical team uh, that was looking after my care could do uh, to make sure that I walked uh, more without assistance or normally. So, uh, when I left that meeting, um, we had gone back to school that following Monday, and uh, the principal could see that I was struggling with the news because my parents had called the school and said that I was emotionally struggling with the fact that I was told that I'd probably never be able to walk normally. And the principal, uh, her name at the time was uh, Carol Krulich. She had called me into her office and said, the scope of your um, uh, um, limitations is only limited by the uh, scope of your imagination. And you know, Jonathan, I think that was uh, the turning point in my life where I had to make a decision on how I wanted to live. You know, I always tell people you can either make your circumstances work for you or you can work for your own circumstances. And I hope that I've, uh, throughout the course of my life, uh, led by example in the sense of making my circumstances work for me instead of my, me working for my circumstances. But I think for uh, me, the turning point in my life happened after I left um, that meeting with the principal at the time and when I was just fi finishing up uh, elementary school. I think that was the pivotal turning point in my life. Hang on, hang on, let me clarify right there. This principal was an able-bodied person, right? Uh, yeah, she, uh, she had been in education for almost uh, 30 years, yeah. So good on you for taking it that way. So here's what I'm imagining, right? You live with a disability. You've got some bad news about kind of, you know, your, your future and how, you know, I don't know exactly, you know, what the news was, but, you know, not the best news. Sounds like this is going to be a condition you do with your life. You aren't going to be able to get the, you know, I don't know, way out that you were hoping for that surgery would give you. So you've got some bad news about what the rest of your life is going to look like. You've got a disability and an able-bodied person who's never had a disability comes up and tells you, you're only as limited as your imagination. 
good on you for internalizing that and taking the positive side of that message. I feel like there's some people out there who just would have reached across and slapped her and said, like, what do you know what you're talking about? <laughs> sounds great coming from you. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I do think you make a valid point in terms of uh, representation and making sure that representation matters. You know, it's just like uh, um, when we're trying to elevate women in sports or trying to uh, give equal opportunity to African-Americans or uh, other minorities. It's all about representation and making sure that people see that themselves. That's why I've worked so hard to ensure that uh, people have equal access to opportunity. Uh, and I'll give you another example. There's a children's treatment center here in Windsor and Essex where I serve on a couple of their uh, committees. It's called the uh, John McGivney Children's Center. And one of the things that I, I'm proud to work with the center on is the transition to adulthood program. And what that does is, is it promotes or provides uh, families and children that are 18 or 21 and who are about to graduate from the John McGivney Children's Center or high school. Uh, because when you age out of the system, when you're 21, from a medical perspective, you lose, right? You lose your uh, physiotherapy, you lose occupational therapy, you lose your speech therapy. So what, what the transition to adulthood program aims to do is to give uh, students or, uh, or uh, who are aging out of the uh, system access to resources when it comes to employment, whether it be a, a job training program or whether it be access to uh, other uh, services within the community and that, that families can access uh, for better improve, improvement uh, in terms of advancement. I'll give you another example. When I was in college uh, for journalism, uh, we struggled to find um, an internship for me because no uh, station wanted to take the risk of having someone with a disability for um, an internship. So I ended up doing my college internship uh, for the school newspaper and I, and I uh, had a great time and it was a good experience, but it really was a setback for me in terms of, of trying to advance my journalism career. Uh, and I'll, when I graduated college, I didn't get my first paying job. Uh, as uh, 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 employment uh, until six years after I graduated. Cool. I spent four years as a, a volunteer television reporter, and then I, uh, I even hosted a pilot program uh, called No Limits, um, and then I wanted to make some money, obviously, so I, I uh, transitioned into employment advocacy uh, for people with disabilities. I worked on a project called uh, We Are Able, uh, where the intention of the project was uh, to 
educate employers about the positive benefits of hiring people with disabilities. Uh, the project lasted for 13 months. We got 20 people employed for the project, and we gave 30 presentations. Uh, so that was sort of the uh, uh, catalyst to my uh, working in inclusive employment. From there, I uh, got the opportunity to be the uh, Discoverability Network Ambassador uh, for the region of Winter and Essex County. And then uh, I was fortunate enough to serve nine months as the uh, job developer over at the YMCA here in Windsor. So it, it's all about taking advantage of opportunity and also uh, creating avenues of opportunity for, for folks with disabilities because it, it is a harder road than most. So it's something I'm uh, tremendously passionate about for sure. So to date, have you gotten paid employment that is in the area of journalism and utilizing your journalism degree? Uh, the, funny you should ask that actually. I'm actually currently up for, uh, um, I'm under consideration to be the newest uh, reporter for AM800, which is our local uh, news information station here in Windsor. Um, I'm also, I'll give you this this other story. I was about to uh, sign a contract to go back to uh, the Discoverability Network, and then COVID hit, right? So Mm -hmm. then my contract was suspended. The reason I started the podcast I hosted, or that I host, is because I wanted a way to um, expand my journalism resume, you know, you know, journalism is a, a, a profession that uh, demands mobility, as I'm sure you know. You got to be, be where the news is all the time, right? So I've leveraged my uh, uh, digital journalism skills uh, to sort of put myself out there. I cover everything, as you know, from uh, news, sports, politics, fitness, and lifestyle on my podcast. Um, so um, it's been a slow grind to try and uh, find paid employment, but I'm optimistic about my future. You know, one of the reasons I also uh, started uh, the podcast is because one of my, my goals eventually is to host a national uh, talk show as well. Yeah. That's interesting. And I mean, it's certainly it's not, you know, you're not the only person with that experience, but it, it is heartbreaking. I think, you know, looking at LinkedIn, right, you graduated what, 10 years ago, something like that. The fact that it, uh, you still haven't gotten employment with your degree. Again, you're not the only person who's gone through that. Plenty of folks, even able-bodied folks go through that. But uh, I do imagine that's a much more common story amongst folks with disabilities than yeah. myself. Yeah, Jonathan, I always tell people when, when, when they get discouraged when they have a disability to remember that that um, to remember that people with disabilities have to work, work oftentimes 110 times harder uh, and once they get a job they're staying in it right because they, they want to prove that they can do the job you know one of the uh, messages uh, that we used or taglines for the Discoverability Network was seize the opportunity to advance your business. And what we meant by that is 
when you hire someone with a disability, they stay longer. So your training costs are down, your productivity is up, and uh, the morale amongst your staff is also higher. So uh, it's all encompassing, right, Jonathan? It, uh, when you hire someone with, one with a disability, you give, give them more than a job. You give them uh, financial independence, uh, societal inclusion, and a sense of belonging. So there are positive benefits to hiring people with disabilities. And I, you know, I also also tell people this, uh, people with disabilities have to pay taxes too, right, Jonathan? So they have to uh, uh, contribute to the greater societal discussion as well. And that's something that I'm uh, tremendously passionate about. Yeah, so would you consider for yourself that, you know, despite having a disability your whole life, do you feel like you have probably the same level of mental health that most people do, right? Some ups, some downs, but like, it hasn't necessarily pulled your mental health down terribly. You've been able to find strong mental health despite the disability. Uh, you know, that's one of the reasons I started the podcast um, because, you know, it, uh, social isolation is something that, 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 folks with disabilities often struggle with, right? The, the, uh, well, for example, uh, if I wanted to uh, go to the movies or spend 20 minutes uh, going to, I don't know, another um, community, uh, I don't necessarily, like I can't leave like, uh, 15 minutes, uh, if I wanted to leave 15 minutes after this podcast and get there 15 minutes later, I couldn't necessarily do that. But when it comes to uh, mental health, I think uh, one of the biggest things that I, I, I'm also passionate about is creating um, – avenues of inclusion for uh, folks with disabilities so that they can get a strong mental state. If they're around people uh, mm -hmm. and around opportunities to be sociable, um, and they can work on their communication skills, and their mental health is stronger. Uh, but I, I do think social isolation is something uh, no matter how old you are when you have a disability, we all go through it and managing it uh, successfully is one of my passions as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Like, the so I, I've heard before, right, from folks with disabilities that the social isolation side um, is rough. And, and like I mentioned, right, you know, uh, I've always felt like too uncomfortable to even talk to disabled people about their disabilities. And truthfully, um, you know, in the few cases where I was around disabled people in my life in school and church, et cetera, I, I just kind of ignored them, right? Because I didn't want to say anything offensive or do anything offensive or uh, do anything awkward or embarrassing. Like, I think, I feel like for able-bodied people, they feel like it's, it's definitely very awkward and uncomfortable and socially risky, right? To engage with an able-bodied or a disabled person, rather a person with a disability. Um, with that in mind, I'm, I'm curious, if you don't mind me asking, do you have any, or I guess might be a better way to ask the question, be how many friends do you have that are able-bodied and have you had throughout your life, I guess? 
Well, before I answer that, I, I'll, I'll simply tell you, never be afraid to ask the question, because I think for most people with disabilities, and I'm speaking from my own personal experience, it's more helpful for us as a community or a population if people that don't know, if they would simply ask, because I think it's also an opportunity to create a sense of conversation and a dialogue that's hopefully educational. And oftentimes it's uh, cathartic for people with disabilities to engage in conversations and bring someone into their network. You know, I always look at that uh, as sort of a net positive. And what I mean by that is, if you're allowing people into your airspace, so to speak, when you have a disability, you want them to be educated because then they can be advocates for you and you can build a community of support. You know, a couple of years ago, um, uh, you know, the Golden State Warriors had a set saying uh, strength in numbers throughout their uh, postseason run. I know you remember that, Jonathan. Um, so I, I, I liken that to that saying because I think strength in numbers is a very important thing when it comes to uh, social isolation and building communities of friendships for individuals with disabilities. Yeah, that's interesting. So I'm curious throughout your life, right? As a child through school, now as an adult, how many you know friends have you had that were able-bodied during those different seasons of your life? I, you know, uh, Jonathan, I'm a pretty open book. I, I, I don't really have a, a concrete number for you, but I've never had a problem with um, engaging in conversations. That that's one of the reasons I want to host a talk show. Is to uh, promote educational experiences for people that may not know uh, about certain issues. Uh, but I've never had a problem um, engaging in conversations. In fact, when I was in journalism school, uh, whenever someone would miss, uh, miss a class during college, they would always go to me and say, what, I, what do I miss? What, what do I miss? What do I need to know? Uh, what, what's the homework assignment? So I never had a problem in college or high school in making friends because I, I found it a, a, a cathartic experience mm -hmm. to uh, allow people uh, to uh, get into my world a little bit, you know. One of the uh, things we did when I was in elementary and high school was we would have a day at the end of the school year where I uh, we would uh, pick a couple of people. We would show them how to use my wheelchair, uh, and we would would give them a chance to try it for a day, and then they would come back with a much more uh, respected understanding of what goes through, what, what life goes through. Like when I'm in my wheelchair and uh, a building doesn't have an accessible door opener, 
I oftentimes have to use my metal plate of a footrest to open a door if no one's around me, right? So yeah. it's all about uh, 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 creating a sense of inclusion uh, for, for able-bodied and, and uh, disabled people to have uh, uh, an open and honest conversation because it allows them to be educated and it also allows them to uh, create or infuse themselves into a community of support for folks with disabilities that Jonathan is more valuable than you would ever uh, know. So never be afraid to uh, ask someone if you don't know um, how to approach a situation uh, or if you want to be um, helpful. Uh, the biggest advice I can give to you and your listeners is always be willing to open up uh, a conversation of a dialogue uh, because you you never know where the conversation would lead. Yeah. I, I find that encouraging and I don't know, maybe unexpected that you've, you know, had no difficulty building relationships with able-bodied folks just for the simple fact that again, I know the kind of environment I was raised in, I, I sure as hell would never like reach out, uh, you know, extend an arm of friendship to a person with a disability. Cause again, I'd feel awkward and uncomfortable and I wouldn't be sure how to do it. And I wouldn't want to do it the wrong way. So I would just be like, well, how about I just be nice to them, but mostly ignore them. Cause that's easier. Right. I hate saying that now, but that's kind of the, I feel like the, been the pattern for my life. Um, is it safe for me to assume you've kind of throughout your life had to kind of take the initiative in forming a lot of these conversations and relationships? Uh, yeah, uh, that, that's that's um, that's part of the reason that I am not bashful uh, when I am, when I uh, pursue things. Uh, yeah. I think that the more open I am to uh, pursuing something, uh, the more uh, likely it is. Um, I'm going to get it, you know. I always tell people with disabilities, uh, they don't know you out there until, until you present yourself or you apply, right? So yeah. you have, one of the things that I always tell myself and other people is that you have to be your own best self-advocate because no one knows what you need better than you. And that uh, saying is magnified, certainly, when you have a disability. Yeah. Still, though, I imagine, you know, all of that is manageable to pull off if you have a lot of self-confidence and you're maybe an extroverted personality. But I imagine if you're a person with a disability who doesn't have a lot of self-confidence, who is very, you know, introverted or very shy, I imagine that must be incredibly difficult, whether you're talking about building relationships with people, right, because you got to make the first move, or whether you're talking about advocating for yourself, right, about what you need in an employment setting or an education setting, right? Both those things require a certain amount of, you know, confidence or extroversion or whatever you call it. And some people have that, and it seems like you do, Kevin, but I imagine there's a lot of folks who don't, and that's very difficult for them. Yeah, every, uh, I'm glad you raised that point, because every uh, disability is different, right? Not every disability is the same. And not every personality is the same as well. Uh, and I always tell people that, that your portrait of success is going to look different than other people, right? So you've got to be your best uh, because 
the way you look at life may be totally different than I look at life. So it, it's important to come up with whatever your own definition of success is, you know, if you want a community of support or if you only want a, a, a close-knit group of friends when you trust your information to, uh, or if you want a certain job and you have a disability, surround yourself with people in, in decision-making uh, areas where you can uh, get uh, an advantage over the competition. It's no different than an able-bodied person. A an able-bodied person would want to create a competitive advantage for yourself. So the two things I, I would tell you is is uh, creating a competitive advantage and a portrait of success is different uh, for every person with a disability because they can have uh, different definitions. Yeah. Well, I find it interesting and, you know, again, encouraging that, you know, it does seem that, you know, while you mentioned that working on your mental health is something you're always focused on, I'm sure there are times when that's difficult for you. You know, all in all, it does seem like you've managed to maintain reasonably good mental health throughout your life, right? You have work that you do. You feel like you have a purpose um, in what you're doing. And that's encouraging, right? Because, you know, there's a lot of people out there who have fewer challenges than you have in life, right? And I think the fact that you're still able to find work that you can do, meaning a reason to get up in the morning, and again, presumably reasonably good mental health, I think that's encouragement. Um, yeah, yeah, everybody's got to find their own platform. And let me tell you, it's not always easy. Yeah, and it's not always like for my podcast, for example. Mm -hmm. I, I started that because no one, <coughs> no one would hire me as a journalist, but I knew that I still wanted to pursue my journalism. Uh, degree. Like, I don't get paid to produce the podcast that I do, and I'm almost at 300 episodes. So, mm -hmm. again, that's, that's again, going above and beyond the 110%, because, you know, I have a passion in life that I want to pursue and make a career, and it's not always easy. Yeah. Uh, you, know, you know, I've applied for I don't know, a half a dozen or a dozen journalism jobs that, that I have not got, <laughs> uh, mainly because of my disability or the fact that I don't have a bachelor's degree. I only have a college diploma. And uh, that's another thing, uh, Jonathan, that I, I can dive into for you is the education gap for people with disabilities, you know? Um, Oftentimes, you know, high school diplomas and uh, um, certificates aren't often enough to get a sustainable uh, paying job. And, you know, when, when you're on a fixed income, like uh, the average uh, social assistant payment for someone with a disability uh, here in Ontario is like, $896 a month. So when you buy groceries and food and, and clothes and your schedules, you, you know, you don't 
necessarily have a lot of disposable income. So a number of uh, uh, steps have been taken over the years to sort of close the education gap to give people with disabilities a, a be better shot at inclusion, inclusion in all aspects of life. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, see, we're, we're kind of coming up on, on time here. So I guess, um, you know, since you mentioned you're a disability advocate, I want to kind of give you, I don't know, give you the stage for a few minutes, so to speak. You know, if, if an able-bodied person is listening to this and they want to do something to make lives better, easier, less challenging for people with disabilities, what's like high up on the list of things that people can, can do? Well, I think if, if they're in a position of influence, for example, if they own a business, look for ways to fit the job that you need to get done for the, the, the skill set of someone with a disability. So if you're high up and you're a business owner, hire someone with a disability. Or if you run a company and you're an executive, look to update your uh, diversity, inclusion, uh, an equality plan, or if you're simply a person that wants to take action, again, the simplest thing you can do is start a, start a conversation because it, it breaks down the social and societal barriers of exclusion and it turns them into inclusion. So simply start a conversation with someone with a disability, ask them how they're doing, what their disability mind is, and ask them to ed educate you on what uh, their disability is, what, what are the challenges they face, and how it affects their daily life. And certainly just starting a conversation and asking those questions is a great place to start. Yeah, cool. Well, thanks again for your time, Kevin. Thanks for your openness and vulnerabilities. We talked about everything under the sun. It felt like conversation went a lot of places. Um, I certainly know I'm better off for having this conversation, and I hope our listeners are better off for, for listening to it. So thanks so much. Jonathan, it was a delight to be with you, and thanks for the opportunity to talk about uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's most appreciated. Absolutely. Thanks again.